you, Lord. Excited that you guys are here this morning. Christmas is over. And we're going to help you get back on track. We're going to have a fast in January. Uh, Pastor Todd will put together a web page that will talk to you about all the details. Um, I don't know if I'm going to preach on fasting next week. Probably not. Um, Just fast, man. Do what the Bible says. Amen? Um, There'll be some uh, stuff we'll put out so you guys can be convinced. Amen? You guys all here? All right. We'll see. Let's pray over this message. Father God, we love you. We praise you. We glorify you in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you'd use this word to change us, to challenge us, and to convict us. God, we need your word to guide us, Lord. And so would you use this word today miraculously to realign our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 6, verse 6 through 16, it says, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking, David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. Now David said on that day, Whoever climbs up by way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, The lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Therefore they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around from Milo and inward. So David went on and became great and the Lord God of hosts was with him. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons. And they built David a house, so David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of the people Israel. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he had come to Hebron. Also more sons and daughters were born to David. Now these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. Shamua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elshama, Eliada, and Elipheletlet. Yeah. <laughs> I told first service, $50 to the first person that named their kid Shobab. I'll do it. It's not a problem. <clears throat> $50. Where, where are we at in the story? So here we are. David has become king, and now he's going to take Jerusalem. Uh, he goes up against these people called the Jebusites, and the Jebusites are like, man, there's no way you're going to take us. Uh, you're, you're, you're so weak, David, that we're going to put the lame and the blind on the wall, and, and you're not going to be able to take us. And, and David's like, watch me. And so then they go in, and they take over Jerusalem, and they take it from the Jebusites. And there's uh, the king of uh, Tyre comes, Hiram, and, and I think it's kind of a political ploy, but he's so excited that David took over Jerusalem. So he's like, hey, we're going to build you a house, and we're going to take care of you uh, because now you're the super king. And then um, David goes and takes more concubines and wives. What are we talking about today? We're going we're to talk about how to win the conquest because we've been walking with David for a while, watching him go through his life. And if you don't know the story, David's the king of Israel and he's gone through a lot to get to this point. And so the next step in his establishment of his kingdom is that he's got to go into Jerusalem and take over Jerusalem because God has ordained that the nation of Israel would be uh, uh, led by a king and that king would reign in Jerusalem. And there's these people called the Jebusites that are inside of there that need to be removed. We want to win as people. 
Like three of y'all. Yeah. Listen, people want to win. Yeah. If, you don't, if you don't believe it, get out there in traffic and you will see. People want to win at all costs. Get in the checkout line. People will ram you with that cart. They want to win. Anything worth doing is not going to be easy. It's going to take your full engagement. And so as we walk through this story this morning for a few moments, we can gather a few ways uh, how we can win the conquest. The way that I preach is to tell you what it says, tell you what it means, tell you what it means to you. So we'll look at what it means and what it says, but we want to apply the scripture to our lives because that's what scripture was intended to do, was to be applied to our lives so that we can live victorious for Jesus Christ. So the first point is this. If you want to win the conquest, do not listen to the lies. Do not listen to the lies. Uh, verse 6 through 8 it says and the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites the inhabitants of the land who spoke to David saying you shall not come in here but the blind and the lame will repel you thinking thinking David cannot come in here nevertheless David took the stronghold of Zion that is the city of David now David said on that day whoever climbs up by way of the water shafts and defeats the Jebusites the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul he shall be chief and captain now now that David is king, he goes in and he takes Jerusalem because it's been in the hand of the Jebusites and now he's taking it. This is David. David's a mighty warrior. He's the one that goes in and takes over things and, and is the hand of God leading the nation of Israel. And, and so he's not giving in to them. He's not listening to the lies that they're throwing down on top of him and saying, well, you know what, David, you're so weak that we're actually going to put our lame and our blind on the walls because that's who's going to be able to defeat you as king and as the nation of Israel. Um, I, I, I love Psalm chapter 2, Psalm chapter 2, verse 1 through 6, it says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against, against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. God had declared long before this that he would uh, place a king inside of Jerusalem and that that king would beat whoever it would be. Now, I don't have time to go into it, but this is a lot of connection even in modern day Jerusalem and what goes on in the Middle East east and the fight that happens over Jerusalem because God declared long, long time ago that Jerusalem would be his city that would be controlled by Yahweh. And so what do the Jebusites do? They mock him. They say to David, you don't have what it takes. You're so weak. We're going to put our blind and lame on defense. And David and his men are not phased at all. They don't care. They take the city. David goes so far as to say, you know what? I hate these people. I hate these Jebusites. I hate what they stand for. And we are going to take this city. Why did David hate these people? Because they followed false gods. They followed false, false gods. This idea of the lame and the blind is connected to David and his mockery of them because the Jebusites uh, followed false gods and, and the, the nation of Israel called these people, uh, uh, called their gods lame and blind gods. And so in return, the 
Jebusites are actually mocking them back and saying, you know what? You call our gods lame and blind. We'll see who's lame and blind. We're going to put the lame and blind on the wall and you'll see how powerful our God is to stop your God. But David shows them your God actually is lame and blind. Your false God is lame and blind. We, we did take the city. We, we, we did take over this place. <clears throat> In Psalm 115, it talks about these, these false gods. It says in, in, in Psalm 115, verse 3 through 8, it says, But our God, and this is us, our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat those who make them are like them so is everyone who trusts in them Deuteronomy 428 and there you will serve gods the work of men's hands wood and stone which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell see the the battle between true Christianity and the true living God is not a battle between another God they're not real they don't exist. There, there's not an extra God floating around the universe that our God is fighting against. All he fights against are people that create false gods inside of their heads yeah. that don't even exist. Yeah. And so David goes into the city against their mockery and their false words. He even gives his men a challenge. I'll tell you what, man. Whoever can kill these guys, I'll make them a captive. Let's go. Psalm 118.6, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? See, here's what David knew. What someone says against you isn't the determining factor of your success or failure. What God has said about you and your situation is what matters. It doesn't matter what what somebody who doesn't believe in Yahweh says. It doesn't matter what naysayers say. What matters is what God has said. Jerusalem belongs to Israel. They are taking it plain and simple. They're going to win the conquest. They're going in. What does it mean to you? Who are you listening to as you're moving towards victory? Who are you listening to? Are you listening to the unlawful inhabitants of your city that are saying lies and accusations against you when they are idolaters that serve a false god? And and, then this is what happens is that God will speak something to you and... and And you make the mistake of casting your pearl before swine. And you say like, oh, God spoke this to me and I'm going to do it. And the naysayers around you say, you're not going to be able to do that. And you shouldn't do that. And that's not of God. And then you begin to listen to those lies as you're trying to move forward in victory. Instead of listening to what the Holy Spirit told you to do. The Bible says in Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. It's in Isaiah. And people say, well, God spoke that to Isaiah. He did. And he also said, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is for me, says the Lord. If you're a servant of the Most High God, that's a promise for you. No weapon formed against you shall prosper if you are a servant of the Lord. Promise upon promise declares that those that are servants of the Most High will be victorious. Friend, read your Bible. The story of the whole Old Testament is when you walk with God, you win. (laughs) 
And if you don't walk with God, you don't win. It doesn't work. Romans 8.31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, victory may not look like you think it's supposed to look. A lot of things you say, well, you know, I don't see how the Lord was victorious over that. God decides what victory looks like. You don't don't set your mind before and you say, God, what's my victory going to look like? You set your mind on Christ and you say, you know what, Lord, whatever the victory looks like that you decide is the victory, Lord, I will receive your victory in Jesus' name. But you can't listen to the lies. Friend, if you're going to have a life that you're trying to live for Jesus, you are going to have moments that you give yourself over to the lies and accusation of the devil. No one else? Man, I do this all the time. And then you guys look at me like, nope, just you. No one else. You guys like that. (laughs) Always hear Buzz Lightyear. You're a sad, sad man. I know that in my life that there are times when I've given myself over to the lies of the enemy in my head. And I don't know how, it always just, uh, you got to cover your crack because there's a a crack and he just gets in there. And then next thing you know, you're just like, and your mind is gone. And you're believing things that aren't true. And you're believing things that you never should have believed because these, and I don't understand where they come from, but it's always like connected to what people said to you in like elementary school and junior high, right? I can't remember anything from junior high except the nasty things that people said to me, right? Am I the only one? We always remember lies with utter and complete clarity. Something good that somebody said, you're like, I don't remember a thing that anybody ever said nice to me at all. You believe the lies and it breaks you. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. It says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Folks, I read the end of the book. We win. The accuser is going to be cast down. Those are just lies, man. All the devil wants to do is discourage you from living the life that you're supposed to live in Jesus Christ. And he will use whatever he can use to discourage you. And then what? And then there are always false accusations. There are always false accusations. Things he says to you that aren't true. You know, today is a, a great day in history. Marshawn Lynch is going to play for the Seahawks today. You know, there's, there's a man that's in this church that even had faith enough to come into this church today with a 49ers jersey on. Shall we cast him out in Jesus' name? (laughs) You know, what's funny is that, uh, and I can't lie, I mean, I'm I'm excited about the game today. It'll be fun. They're flexing it. It's going to be on prime time. Uh, It'll be a... It'll be a great game. And, and, and if you don't know anything about football, and people are like, why well, has always got to use, pastors always want to use football examples. I can use your life as an example instead. <laughs> oh, he's talking about football. I'll be like, oh, well, you know brother so-and-so. Do you know what they were doing last week? Get back to Marshawn. So anyway, if you don't know, if you don't know much about football, 
a, a, a running back is the guy that gets the ball and then he runs uh, towards the end zone. And, and the life expectancy of a running back in the NFL is probably like three to five years. It's a young man's position. And I mean, most of those guys are retired at like 28 or 29. Marshawn's like 33. He's antiquated in the NFL, right? I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the equivalent of him just showing up with a cane like, I'll do this football, right? <clears throat> And so he's coming back to the Seahawks today and, and you know, he's pumped up on Skittles and he's ready to go. <laughs> and so I was thinking about Marshawn and I was thinking, you know, all the prognosticators and the pundits over the last couple of weeks have been saying so much about how weak he is and how old he is and how out of time he is and how his time has passed and how it was not smart of the Seahawks to bring Marshawn Lynch back. And, and, and maybe they're right. I don't know. But here's what I do know. I don't, it's, you know, it's quarter 11. I, I don't know where Marshawn is right now. I'm guessing he's warming up or eating some Skittles, doing whatever. He's doing something, but I guarantee you he's not sitting around listening to those lies. I guarantee he's not sitting there going, man, I probably shouldn't have done this. What was I thinking? I'm old. I'm broken. I'm 33. I have no business being in this league. He's not telling himself that. He's building himself up. He's saying, you know what? I'm going to make this happen. Beast Quake 3.0. It's going to happen. You know what I mean? I, I guarantee you that's the stuff that he's telling himself. Why do I use that as a sermon example? Folks, football is worthless and meaningless in the whole scheme of things, okay? Inflated piece of leather, you move across the grid and everybody goes crazy, right? How much more so should we think about when it comes to the spiritual things of God? How much more so should we remind ourselves of who God is and who he is and what he's going to be able to do through us, amen? 1 John 4, 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, amen? Next, you have got to maintain a relationship with the Lord if you want to win the conquest. Verse 9 and 10. Verse 9 and 10 says, Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around from Milo and inward. So David went on and became great. Watch this. And the Lord God of hosts was with him. Was with him. David walked with God. And, and, and David's success, albeit through his determination, was that the Lord of hosts was with him. Now, <clears throat> as you've been walking through the story with us, uh, King Saul's problem was that the Spirit of God departed from him. Yeah. The Spirit of God departed from him because he walked in rebellion. He walked in disobedience. And God said, you know what? I'm not going to deal with a king that is like that. I'm going to find a king that is after my own heart. And we see the life of David as a life that lived in dependence on God. That he he lived a life of worship and a love of the law. And that, that he was righteous before God. And so when David walked through into this battle, it was clear that God was with him as he went through this battle. Psalm 71, 16, I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness of yours only. David did not act on his own. He acted with the Lord God with him as he went into battle. He walked uh, uh, side by side with Yahweh. And again... The stories of the Old Testament are, are, are always filled with battles, but these battles are meant to prove to the unbelieving heathens and pagans around there that this is a God who reigns. Yeah. 
This is a real God. And if you would serve him and you would walk with him, you would have the same victory as this nation has. As a living, breathing example to an unbelieving world that says God is real. I would assume that David worshipped his way through this battle as well. Joshua 1.5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. God spoke that to Joshua. I believe that God anointed many kings and leaders and rulers over Israel and that he did walk with them as they walked through thousands of years ago, proving to the world that God is real. David knew scripture. He knew that God was a protector and a guide and a defender of those that walked with him. What made David different in many instances is when he experienced victory, he didn't distance himself from God. He drew closer to him. He called out to him and he depended on them. He had a strong victory. I mean, he went, he went into the stronghold, uh, which was the most fortified part of the city, and he took it over, and then, uh, and then he actually built it up even greater as a testimony to them to say, you know what, I took your city, I made it stronger, and I'm going to walk with God as I walk into the city. He even renamed it the city of David to show them how powerful God was over them. Amen. Only with God he could do this. Only with God he could do this. There wasn't a lot written about the Jebusites past this. They kind of are eliminated from the biblical record because that was the measure of resolve of destruction that God used David for to wipe them off the face of the record. But he had to have a a relationship with God. He had to walk with him. He had to maintain a relationship with him. What does it mean to you? Are you maintaining a relationship with God? It takes work, man. It doesn't doesn't just magically happen. You have to actually do something in a relationship. This is true of every relationship, and it's even more true in your relationship with God. It just doesn't happen. Simply put, you have to pray. You have to read your Bible. You have to worship. You have to fellowship. You, you have to be part of the church. You have to worship. You, you guys have done one of the greatest things today is just by simply being in church. It, it maintains that relationship with God. So you say, oh, you know, I don't understand why we got to go to church. Why? Because we're, we're a bunch of people left to our own devices. We fall away. Yeah. But when every week you come and you worship God, it, it gives you an opportunity to, to be thankful and, and, and worship Him. Get outside of yourself. We have great worship today. It was great. When you hear from God's word, it challenges you, it changes you, it convicts you, it keeps you going. We are not very smart people. Given a week, we'll we'll take off. John 20, 31, talking about the Bible. But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And and I've seen it over uh, the, the years is that people that, that tell themselves that they don't have to put in work with a relationship with God will drift away from God. Yes. And they, they tell themselves these lies, and, they, and it's always like this pious sense of like, people become the, the deepest theologians in the world when they have to justify living to their flesh. Like they're like, you know, I, I've been reading in the Bible, and, and I've spent a lot of time reading the Bible to prove to you that I don't have to pray every day. But I spent all this time in the Bible, reading the Bible, to show you I don't have to read my Bible. 
I don't have to go to church and I don't have to fellowship with other Christians. Dude, I, I, and, and people that know me that hang out with me, I talk to, I'll talk to a stump if it stays there long enough. I talk to a lot of people when I get out in the community and I ain't met one person that's walking victoriously with Jesus that doesn't maintain the disciplines of the Christian faith. Not one person. They, 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 dap, 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 and I'm this and I'm that or whatever. And you peel back the ends of your life. You're like, dude, there's no victory in your life. You're not walking with God at all. Matthew 28, verse 20, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus walks with us, folks. He walks with us as we walk this life, but you have to walk with him. And you think about our worldly relationships and how much work it takes. You have to work on your relationship with your friends and with your spouse and people. It takes work. Work. You have to put in work to it. When, when I was growing up on the mean streets of Ballard, um, I, had a, uh, um, I had a young friend, and I was thinking back to this friend. And now, when you're we're a young kid and you build friendships, uh, it's weird how friend relationships happen. This guy was my friend from first to third grade, and we became the best of friends because we were at the same bus stop. That's how it all happened. And, you know, we would go out and we would do things that kids do. We'd like play Legos and ride bikes. We went outside. We played outdoors, sometimes even in the rain, and we got wet. Ride bicycles. Um, It's the olden days. And uh, so we were friends, and then after third grade, his family moved, and they moved up to Mount Lake Terrace. And surprise, we stopped being friends. Because he lived in Mount Lake Terrace, and I lived in Ballard, and, you know, what are we going to do, ride our bikes? The two of you said, no, it's just not going to happen. But we, we didn't talk on the phone. We didn't do anything. There was no Facebook. There was no text. We just fell apart in our relationship. That's what happens when you're not in proximity with somebody. The relationship just falls apart. I became friends with somebody else at the bus stop. We weren't friends in junior high. We weren't friends in high school. We weren't friends in college. And so then when I was in college... My mom was, was somewhere, and I forget where she was, and she saw Jesse's mom at uh, some place. And, and, and her mo- his mom was kind of like standoffish towards my mom. And my mom was like, well, you know, we're just saying hi or whatever. And my mom kind of like uncovered this thing. It was like, what's going on? And, and, and Jesse's mom said, I just didn't know how to talk to you about how Matt had died. And my mom's like, huh? <laughs> and she goes, yeah, Jesse heard back in high school that Matt died in a car wreck. And, and my mom's like, no, he is alive. He's going to SPU. He's just as loud and obnoxious as he's ever been. He's not dead at all. So we exchanged phone numbers, and me and Jesse went out and had a meal. That, I don't know if you've ever spent time with someone that thought that you died, but it's kind of cool. You know what I mean? <laughs> The guy's just like, man, I thought you were dead. And I was like, well, did you weep? Did you cry? Like, you know, I got a free, uh, free lunch at Red Robin out of it. Uh, what's, what's the point of the story? Literally, human relationships left to themselves, the people that you stay disconnected with can actually begin to think that you're actually dead. Because the relationship doesn't get maintained. How much more so with our relationship with the Father? I can't say, we don't live across the street from each other, but if he reigns inside of us, we have to work on that relationship. And and can we we leave this false piety where people say, well, you know, I read my Bible every day and I pray every day. And, 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 well, how come it doesn't show in your life? Like, I'm concerned. 
You know, I, one of the things we're really working on for this year is I want us to be a church where we read our Bibles every single day. And, and, and so I've, I've been texting the men of this church uh, every day a scripture verse. If you don't get it, men, get my, uh, get my phone number so I'll get it to you. Because, it, like, the, this is who we are. Like, shouldn't we at the minimum, like, read our Bibles every day? It's funny. If you read your Bible every day, you'd be less offended by what I preach on Sundays because you would have read it beforehand. Amen. If you want to win, maintain the relationship. Next, if you want to win the conquest, you have to remind yourself of who did what. Remind yourself of who did what. Verse 11, Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. Watch this, verse 12. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. See, David knew that it was the Lord that had done the work. He, he may have gone into the battle. He may have kept his relationship up with Yahweh. But in the end, he knew that it was God that had won him the victory. He remembered it. He even goes so far to say, God did this and he didn't even do it for me. He did it for the people of Israel. Yes. It wasn't even for me that God gave me this victory. It was for somebody else. Yes. Come on. You know, Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 9, <clears throat> and, and, and this is talking to the nation of Israel, and, and it says, only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children, your grandchildren. Keep this up here for a second. This is a saying that goes through the book of Deuteronomy probably four or five times I was able to find it where God is telling the nation of Israel, I've been doing great, keep that up there, Uh, I've been doing great things in the nation of Israel, but because you guys do not remember it, you're going to drift away. You're going to drift away. You're going to forget that I gave you manna and you're going to forget that I delivered you and that I took care of you for 40 years in the desert. You have to diligently keep yourself, it's on you, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen unless they depart from your heart. This is thousands of years ago that God told the nation of Israel because he knows human nature. If you do not protect and keep yourself, you will forget what God has done through you and for you and that it was him all along that did it. It wasn't even you. The story of the Bible is not how great you are. It's how great God is. And now when you live in subjection to him, how he can do great things in your life. It maintains through David and beyond. If you do not pay attention, you're going to forget everything that God has done in your life. The psalmist said in Psalm 106, 21, they forgot God, their savior, who had done great things in Egypt. This is the story of Israel and the story of us. Given enough time, we forget that it was the Lord. Again, read, read the Old Testament, friend. And this is the perpetual story of Israel. They walk with God and they get great victory. They fall away and they fall serve, serve false gods. And then they fall into disrepair. God rebukes them. And then they come back and like, we love you. And then they have victoriousness. And then they fall into disrepair. It's just a repetitive nature where God says, read this over and over and learn something about your own life. Walk with God, have victory. Don't walk with God, don't have victory. David knew it though. Psalm 103, 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He knew who did what and who got him, where he came from, that God had chosen him, that God rose him up, that God established him. Once he gets to this place of victory, he's like, check me out. Shepherd boy, here I am now. 
No, he, li- he, li- he, li- he lived in subjection to the Lord. Subjection to Yahweh, knowing that, remembering that he only had victory through God. Amen. What does it mean to you? Have you forgotten what God has done for you? Do you, do you have temporary memory? See, see and, and, and I constantly, and people say, man, you talk about the same things all the time. That's because you're still not getting it. <laughs> right? Give us a week away and we're just like, Bleh. like we forget everything, right? We need constant reminders all the time. One of the biggest problems in Christianity is that people forget that they were actually saved from something. And I don't know why this is, but a person's salvation experience becomes secondary to all this other stuff in their lives. They get wrapped up in the rigmarole of all the stuff that happens in this world instead of just remembering, man, I was a nobody and God made me a somebody. I was in sin and God delivered me. I used to be in bondage and now I've been set free and now I have no demands and I will never Never forget that it was God that saved me. Don't forget the healings. Remember when you needed that healing? You're like, oh God, please heal me from this. And God's like, boo. And then you're like, years later, like, man, you never done nothing for me. Remember when he delivered you from that thing? Remember, you know, you asked God to bring you a spouse. And now you're like, why do I have to have this spouse? You know, you prayed for him. You were excited that someone actually liked you. Now you're upset about it. You prayed for that job. And now you're like, man, my boss, I hate this job. Expecting me to work for this paycheck. People just slowly move away from the Lord. They get out on their own because they have no remembrance at all. Do you know how you got to where you are? It wasn't you. Man, and and I'm going to try to keep it together when I talk about it. Because And again, I don't want to ever make it about me. Folks, there is so much about who I am that has nothing to do with me. Oh my gosh. I didn't choose. God just like, he just made me who I am. He made me tall. He made me big. He made me loud. He made me confident. He made me all these things. God put that inside of me. I didn't come up by my bootstraps. This, This is the first grade version of Matt. I really haven't changed much. It's just the saved version. That's all it is. But it was God. God did that. But there was also godly men that the Lord placed in my life that made me who I am today. And I, I, don't, I don't for one second, like one of the greatest influences in my life has been my mother. I mean, she, man, my mom, she loved me so well when I was a kid and gave me experiences. And the, the best things about my relationship, they're from my mom. They really are. Sadly, the worst things as well. But uh, that's how it is, man. I've had godly men that spoke into my life throughout the years. You know, Pastor Roger and Pastor Kirby and Pastor Ong and a lot of my pastor friends. I had, you know, professors in college like Dr. Drovedal and Dr. Parrott and men that like saw something to me and spoke into my life. And I had NCOs when I was in the army like Sergeant V and, and Sergeant Phillips and Colonel Trent. Like these great men that like, like I'm, I'm just a... Uh, an, uh, a conglomeration of everybody that like put stuff in me over my life. But that was all orchestrated by the Lord to make me who I am today. And it's no different for you. Like I don't believe in this idea of a self-made man. We're all just kind of like our parents and our friends and our neighbors and everybody else that's done stuff into our lives. Isaiah 63, 7. I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us. 
and the great goodness towards the house of Israel, which he has bestowed on them according to his mercies. It's only because of God's mercies that he gives us this stuff. According to the multitude of his loving kindness. Folks, he's such a loving God. And, and, and I don't know exactly uh, why or how, but it's him and he does it. This is why continual Bible reading and worship and prayer and church attendance is important because we are people that are quick to forget. God has created us with insatiable appetites and limited remembrances. Left to ourselves, we forget things, right? This is why you celebrate your birthday every year. You didn't have one birthday. Like, how was your birthday? It was good. I was one. I don't remember. We celebrate it every single year to remind ourselves, I'm glad I'm alive. It's why we celebrate Mother's Day every year and Father's Day every year and anniversaries every year. So you can remind yourself. It's no different with the things of God. It's, it's like a kid that thinks that everything they have is theirs. Yeah. Kids, listen to me. Listen to your pastor, okay? You own nothing, okay? It is not your room. It is not your stuff. It is not your toys. None of it belongs to you. It all came through your parents' hands. But adults... There's nothing you have that did not come through the Father's hands. Deuteronomy 32:18 of the rock who begot you, you are unmindful and have forgotten the God who fathered you. Here's my last point, and then we'll get out of here. The end of this story is uh, <laughs> a challenge. You know, we, we talk about uh, don't listen to the lies and you'll win the conquest. Uh, maintain a relationship and you'll win the conquest. Remind yourself of what you did and then you'll win the conquest. But the end of this story leaves us with a challenge. Don't use blessings as a permission to sin. Because, you know, at the end of this story, verse 13, it says, And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he had come from Hebron. Folks, concubines and multiple wives was never God's plan or intention for his people. And David was operating in sin. But like many people will experience victory. And then immediately after we've experienced victory, we go back to our old ways. When the victory was never intended to free you to sin, it was to free you from sin. And, and, and this story shows human nature and that we like, we'll see victories and I remember you, God, and I walk with you, God, and hey, let me go walk back into this sin that I shouldn't be doing in the first place because David thought that the blessings of God were the approval of God and everything that he did with his life, even though he was walking contrary to God's ideal. It was sin. And we will see as we go through David's life how concubines create problems. I love my wife, man, but I am full with that. It's fine. David should have just maintained one wife and lived as an honorable king. She's taking notes. Did you hear that, baby? I said to Crystal, I've been reading through the Old Testament, I said, man, why do all these guys want to have concubines? It makes no sense. What does it mean to you, friend, if you want to live for Jesus and win the conquest, do not go back to sin after you've had victory. Don't, don't, don't hold back from sin just so you can get victory so you can go back to sin. Don't do that. 
Many people just maintain a dependence and a relationship and a remembrance until they get victory. And then they go back to their old sins and their old ways of living until they get that job, until they get that spouse, until they get that healing, until they get those friends, then I'm just going to move back to my sin. Friend, you were never given victory so that you can go back to sin. You were never given victory so you can go and live to yourself. That's not God's intention. He didn't set you free so that you can go live to yourself. He set you free so you can go live unto Him. We'll leave with a few scriptures. Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? 1 Peter 2.6. As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Galatians 5.13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? If you're not a Christian this morning, we'd like to give you an opportunity to become one. And it's quite easy. All you have to do is give up your life and live for Jesus. The Bible says if you have not come to Jesus, that you're dead in your sins. That God's wrath rests upon you. And the the way to escape God's wrath and to receive forgiveness is quite easy. You go to Jesus and say, forgive me, and he will. You turn away from the sins of this world and you turn towards Christ and you walk with him. Complete deliverance, complete forgiveness. Uh, clean slate. But you got to live for Him. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, and you need to do that for the first time today, we want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. So if you need to do that, would you raise your hand right now and say, that's me, I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to be set free. been far from God, walking in disobedience. I'm not saying, you know, hey, I've been having a bad couple months, the holidays were hard. No. You've known the truth of Scripture. You've known it since, for years. And you know that you've drifted away and you've been waiting for that moment to come back to the Father where you go back into His loving arms and live for Him completely. If you need to rededicate your life to Jesus today, not as a superstition, a direction change in your life, want to pray with you as well. Is there anybody that would like to make that declaration? Would you raise your hand this morning and say, that's me. Thank you, Father. Now, whatever the Lord spoke to you this morning, whether you just have forgot what He's done for you and you haven't been walking in a relationship with Him, you've been believing the lies, you've been going back to your sins, just confess it. Say, Lord, let that not be me. I want to walk with you. I want to remember what you've done. I don't want to believe the lies and I definitely don't want to walk in sin. Father, we thank you for it, God. We praise you for it. We thank you that you're a God that saves and delivers and sets free. Father, let us maintain that relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.